Hello and welcome back my partners in crime, welcome back to another true crime. Now this is solved crime, just solved, and this is an Australian case. Now this is the case of Lynette Joy Dawson. Now a lot of people know her by the name of Lynn, but her name was, uh, full name was uh, Lynette. But so throughout this uh, I'll probably be calling her Lynn. Now she was born in 1948 and was an Australian missing person, quite a high profile one. Not when it first happened, but sort of as the years have gone on, and we'll get into this case in a little bit, uh, telling you sort of why this case has now come to light and things have now changed with this case. Now, she disappeared in January, around the 9th of January uh, 1982, uh, leaving two daughters and her husband, this former rugby league um, footballer, Chris Dawson. Now, her whereabouts are unknown. Now, I'm going to say now that her remains are unknown, right? They still haven't found her remains. They now know that she is dead. But that there's, um, and they sort of got a clue, I think, of where the, the body may be. But listen, 40 years is a long time, isn't it? To fight for justice for this woman. And after 40 years, if you buried a body out in the bush, you know, and I think, they, I think it's, they think it's in, um, some areas they're looking but I mean the landscape changes things change don't they after 40 years so whether they're going to find this uh, Lynn's body I, I'm not I'm not sure and I'll tell you now the person that murdered her is no way going to give up um, where what he done with that body that mean that he'd have to actually admit what he done so um, there was two inquests over the years um, about this case looking into has she been murdered sort of who done it and it turns out that the court now believe that she was murdered and they also the court now believe that she was murdered by her husband this Christopher Dawson and there's a lot about this man and as we go through this case you will see this case opens up into more than just a murder really this poor woman it's just shocking isn't it now today as you can see I'm wearing pink now everyone to do with Lynn's disappearance um, and the fight for justice for Lynn for over 40 years has sort of used the colour pink to highlight her case and her one because her character was absolutely beautiful she was a loving mother a caring mother unlike what her husband had portrayed out to the media over the years it was totally untrue so her family and supporters and everyone always when they talk about Lynn or when they talk about the missing case at the time and now the murder trial you'll see them in pink and that's really to say listen we support her we stand by her and um, today that's why I'm wearing pink so I'm going to tell you the outcome and then we're going to go into the history of it. So in December 2018, Chris Dawson was charged with the murder. Uh, and then in June 2019, he pleaded not guilty to that murder. In February 2020, he was committed to stand trial for the murder of his wife. And on the 30th of August 2022, which was only a couple of weeks ago, a week ago really, um, Chris Dawson was found guilty of Lynette's Joy Dawson's murder so he did do it but I think listen you know this case I, I think um, so many people there were so many issues here with this case right from the beginning when she first went missing right did the police do their job right from the beginning we're talking about 1982 
I, I don't know if they did. But also, I'm going to show you some footage of an interview with Chris Dawson. I think it was on the 15th of January 1992, so 10 years later, when he was being interviewed about her missing, you know, because she was still missing at that time. And you can see how what a liar and a manipulator he was. He also had friends that were police officers and stuff, and he used them relationships, and you can see it in this footage of him, about... Um, how he'd asked his friends, you know, police officers in this state and in that state to help him find in. He used every tool in, in the box. So I think with this case, we have a scenario here really where you have a murderer and he's getting away with it and he's got away with it really for 40 years. Right? It's 40 years it's took to get this man to justice. And is it because of his manipulation and he's a liar? Probably. But also, was it the incompetence? of some of the investigators right off, right from the start, to believe what he was saying without really fully looking into this case. So listen, there's some issues that may come up and um, so that's the sort of where we are today. This man has been, well, uh, I think I only looked yesterday and um, the judge on the 30th of August 2022, good judge actually he was, um, and this was a judge only trial and we'll go into that in a minute he sort of um i mean this man was still on bail so i was i'm now hoping that they would have arrested this man now and put him in incarceration where this man belongs because you know 40 years is too long for a murder murderer to be free isn't it there has to be some justice for lynn so i mean i would be weary about leaving this man out on the streets even if he's trying to go for an appeal or whatever he needs to be taken to prison um, one because really he's in his 70s now so you don't really want him to do anything to himself where he can't then serve that justice so I think putting him in prison now will show Australia and the country and the world actually um, that this case is taken seriously you know because the judge was absolutely forthright in what he said is that Lynn did not walk away from her two children at all she never did that was totally unfair of him to even say and, and slander her character like that, making her look like she'd abandoned her children. Um, when he'd killed her, it's time for him to serve his justice and it's, you know, lock him up and bloody throw away the key. But anyway, let's go on to the background of this story. There's much more to this Chris Dawson than just a murderer. So Lynette Sims, now Sims is Lynn's um, maiden name and Chris Dawson both met at the age of 16 at the high school function in 1965, so many, many years ago. Um, they were married in 1970 at St Jude's Church in uh, Ranswick in Sydney and then they later had two children, I think it was two girls they had, between 1972 and 1976. Chris and his identical twin brother, Paul, played professional rugby league football uh, at the Newtown Jets um, for. So, yeah, quite, you know, he was uh, quite a good uh, rugby league player at that point. Now, in 1975, the Dawson brothers and their spouses appeared on the ABC documentary, actually, uh, programme, and it was called Checkerboard, to discuss how the twins' close bond affected their lives and I think they were very close uh, and as we sort of get into more of their 
closeness and their behaviour, it, uh, it wasn't always good. Allegedly. have to say allegedly. So after ending their Avery careers, uh, the Dawson brothers found employment as physical education teachers, with Chris working at Cromer High School near Sydney. Now, <laughs> if, you, if you are a member of mine, on my uh, Partners in Crime membership, you will know that I've been doing quite a lot of um, paedophiles, and most of them, well actually all of them, including females, were physical education teachers. So, um, not saying that they were, but there are issues around, um, which is alleged, um, of both of these and their behaviour and uh, towards young girls at this period of time. So, um, as I said, his character isn't the best anyway. You know, he's not just a murderer. I think there's a lot more to this Chris Dawson than uh, people really realise. So... It is alleged that both Chris and Paul, right, and allegedly I'm saying, have regularly or was regularly engaged in illicit sexual behaviour with female students at their representative schools. Chris is a further alleged to have been one of six male teachers who preyed on students at Cromer High School. So this is what I'm saying, his character was uh, already not good, was it? Really it wasn't. And um, of course I don't think Lynn knew anything about this at all. As most people that are married to these predator type people like these don't know. So in 1981, Chris groomed and slept with, it's alleged, student uh, Joanna Curtis. And in the court testimonies you'll hear her name as JC. They've named her as JC. Who temporarily moved into the Dawson family residence in Bayview at Chris's invitation. She was permanently moved into the residence on the 10th of January 1982. Two days later, Lynn disappeared. Mm, coincidence. And this is what I'm saying. Was there failings here then already from the police and the authorities to think something wasn't right about this woman's disappearance and also someone moving a student in to his home um, to look after his children. It's, uh, it's not a good case all around this. So Lynn or Lynette um, was phoned by her mother on the 8th of January of 1982. Now that was the last time that they would communicate with each other. She planned to meet her mother and the family in Northbridge Baths the following day. She never arrived. Chris didn't report his wife missing until the 18th of February 1982, six weeks from the date that she vanished. Now, again, another red flag. I don't know how many red flags you have to have where you have a wife missing and the man doesn't report it, the husband doesn't report it for six weeks. That's telling you something. You know, even in 1982, you know, that there's issues here, there's red flags here. But again, no one's done really anything about it. Now here's where Chris starts now to paint a picture of Lynn. This, what he says to the police is, well, he claims that she left the marital um, home because of problems in the relationship that was caused by her credit card spending or bank card spending. So it's her fault, right? He's putting the blame now 
right straight away on her. That's what he's doing, straight away. So she's, he's finished divorce proceedings against Dawson, or Lynette Dawson, in 1983. The woman only went missing in 1982. Don't forget, he's moved in the former student into his home. Two days later, the wife's disappeared. He's blaming the wife for marital issues, saying she's spending all the money. Then, really, he's divorced a person that couldn't have signed them divorce papers at all a year later in 1983 then following that year he married following a year later he married then uh, Joanna Curtis he married the young girl that he had groomed in the school moved her into his home and married her I mean there's so many red flags here I, I you know anyone you haven't got to be a police investigator have you to see something here is not right with this man's behavior i just can't i don't that's why i'm saying to you right in the beginning i can't understand why it took 40 years to get this man for the murder of this woman i, I just can't understand it and i think nor can a lot of people understand it really and you know 40 years for justice this man's lived his life for 40 years shocking so listen, the New South Wales Police did investigate um, this, uh, you know, missing persons and she was put down as a missing persons. Um, and they found when they investigated that there was no information really and it was inconclusive in to whether she had any, come to any harm or um, if she'd just run off to start a new life. Because this is what Chris was trying to portray about her. She's a bad mother. She's abandoned her two children. She's run up debts on cards and bank cards and stuff like that. She's just gone off, I think, to live in a, um, I think, what is one of the things, a religious communion. You know, um, she doesn't want to be found. These sort of things. You know, really portraying this woman as really someone that would have just willingly left because she'd run up debts and stuff like that. And they believed it. They believed it and they said they investigated and they, and as I said, I'm going to show you in a minute the interview of him in this, um, you know, in the police station um, being interviewed by the New South Wales Police and talking about, this is in 1992, talking about what he thinks and why he thinks Lynn just went off. And, as I said, keep dropping names of different police officers he knew and stuff. He was quite a manipulator, this man. Listen, he would have been quite a manipulator because he was a groomer, right? He's, the art of manipulation is in someone that grooms children. And he groomed children. And in the end, married one that he groomed. So it just shows you the manipulation skills of this man, doesn't it? And, but I also, I think, you know, police officers are meant to be trained to see through people like Chris Dawson and they just didn't they just believed him I think Chris in January 1982 your wife Lynn uh, left your family home and, and uh, would you care to tell me now what transpired at that time please prior to my wife leaving me Um, I went on a brief um, 
way from home to, to try to clarify how I felt. I came back from um, a few days up here in Queensland. Lynn and I then went to marriage guidance to try to sort things out. After marriage guidance, a few days Lynn seemed um, disturbed by the results of that. She, we also, at the same time, had some guy renting a shed or something who was tied up with We just had to um, sort some um, comfort from him so far as he was asking to come along to the meetings and, and giving a lift to all. On Saturday, I had a part-time job at North Beach Swimming Bars. And on one particular Saturday, Linda agreed with me she was going to go to the city markets to do shopping. I was to take our two daughters to the North Beach Bars and she was going to go and shop and meet me back at the bars in the afternoon. I dropped her down at the Vale bus stop in the morning. I went back and um, we had told us I had breakfast and then I went through to work with my girls. Then some other came through to Northridge bars while I was there. I was expecting them to come with mother. When her mother came, I was sort of asking where my wife was. She said she didn't know, so we presumed she was still shopping with me at work during the afternoon sometime. Um, the girl who worked in the shop called me over to there was an STV phone call for me. She'd taken the call. I went there, took the, the phone call. It was Lynn. She said she needed a time away like I had had prior to um, that day. And she'd bring me in a few days' time after she had time to sort things out. I had, um, the following few weeks, I had several phone calls from Lynn or STV calls saying that she needed extra time, she needed more time to sort it out. And after the third phone call, she said she needed a lot more time. She didn't know she'd be returning to um, I had friends at Belrose um, Rugby League Club who were in the police force. I asked them to try to help locate Vince whereabouts. A friend of mine on the Central Coast told me she'd seen him in the car on the Central Coast. Um, a friend of mine, Ian Kennedy, who's now in the drug squad in New South Wales, and a friend of Brothers is now deceased, unfortunately, um, was also making inquiries. Vince um, Payne Brothers, a member in the police force in New South Wales, all of which were trying to find make inquiries and to um, discover the exact location where Vince was. Um, in fact, the, my friends from Belrose told me that if they located her, although they weren't supposed to tell me that, to let me know where she was, I could speak to her. But if she didn't want to disclose her whereabouts, they um, officially couldn't let me know where she was. For the remaining period, up to 12 months or more, I was um, constantly in touch with the people I just mentioned to try to find and locate where we was. Listen, as I said, there was two inquiries. Uh, the first was held in February 2001 and the Deputy, Deputy State Coroner, uh, Jan Stevenson, determined that Lynette had been murdered and that her killer was someone she knew. That's as far as that went. That was in 2001. Don't forget, we're now in 2022, and this man's just, you know, been a, you know, charged with her murder. So it's a long time, isn't it, for this man to be free? So they knew that someone had killed her that she knew by 2001, but still, really, nothing could be done because there was no evidence. Also, there was no body, either. So in this 2001, this coroner recommended that charges should be laid. However, this Nicholas Cowdery, QC, then the, he was the New South Director actually of Public Prosecutions, asserted that there was, or assessed, that there was insufficient evidence for a criminal conviction. And he was probably right at that point. Um, you know, it's difficult, isn't it? We, we all have theories. Um, 
and, and people knew, but I don't think they knew much about or as much about the background as this Chris Dawson. That would have made them more um, susceptible, really, I think, to laying charges against him. You know, when you have circumstantial evidence, and even in this case, uh, what, what came out in, in August 2022, it was really circumstantial evidence that they used. But it's how believable you can make that, you know, that circumstantial evidence and how you build up this picture. And there was a lot um, more put into that. I think by, um, there was a podcast, and we'll talk about the podcast in a minute, which went out to about 30 million people. And this was all over the world. It's a really, he's a really good reporter. And, but this drew then attention to this missing persons case over the years. It had a lot of following and therefore there was a lot of leads coming in to this podcast that the police didn't know about at the time, all right? So it was only then as this case started to get, or this missing persons case of Lynette Dawson, started to grow legs, should we say, and people really started to come forward about this Chris Dawson things and stuff that was said. Um, and I think also by that stage, 10 years after he married uh, Joanne Curtis, they divorced and she sort of said some things but I think the judge as you can hear um, I think when I, I've done the recording of the judge he sort of said yes I mean listen I'm not saying that Joanna had anything to do with this because she didn't she was a green child and, and under the influence of a very very you know, calculated man here but she did say then that um, she had reported that he had hired a hitman to kill uh, Lynette I think she thought something may have happened to her, but I don't think she knew what, and that was her, her guess. I don't think she even thought that he would have killed her. But do I think that Chris Dawson killed um, Lynette? Yes. Do I think he worked alone? Probably not. Probably not. But it wasn't the young girl that he had groomed that assisted him. I think it was somebody else. So in 2003, now this second inquest, right? The state coroner then Cole uh, Molovit Milo something I'll put the name up <laughs> recommended that Chris be charged with Lynette's murder. Now Caldery again refused to prosecute, refused to prosecute Dawson, citing lack of evidence. Um, uh, again, you know, I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, you know, the CPS is like our CPS here in England. You, you cut, you have to have. It's 50%, right? So it's weighed on 50%. 50% is it in the public interest to prosecute that man, right? 50% chance that that's going to win that case because murder charges and trials cost a lot of money to do. So you have to make sure that the evidence is there. Again, as I keep stating, Lynn's body until this day has not been found. So again, it would only have been circumstantial evidence. So in April 2018, following this extensive now investigation of New South Wales Police, plus then the um, material that had been um, found actually by this podcast um, and this people's want and need really, you know, were saying, well, why hasn't this been solved? You know, there's lots of issues here. So there was a lot of public pressure to get answers in this case and, and really to make someone pay for the murder of Lynn Dawson because it was really what's right to do isn't it so you know following this really you know big intensive um, 
police investigation, they requested that the Office of Public Prosecutions to review the brief of evidence, right, so everything they had, whether it was circumstantial or not, they wanted now to be re-looked over thoroughly and then add in absolutely everything about what they had. So on um, in December 2018, Chris was arrested in Queensland, Australia. Uh, and extradited then back to New South Wales because states a little bit like America, different states, and charged with the murder of his first wife, Lynette uh, Dawson. Now, um, he was granted bail, and in June 2019, he pleaded not guilty to the murder. In February 2020, Chris was committed to stand trial. Now, even his trial now um, caused some issues. So, I think there was another charge actually put at the same time that he was um, carnal knowledge, that he had been facing a charge of carnal knowledge between the girl aged between 10 and 17. This would have been this C, uh, J, or JC um, girl that he had moved in, and he had sexual relationships with Curtis while still a teacher at Cromer High School. So, there was, as I said, there was allegations about six kids at this school that this had been going on with. Um, so the trial, at trial, Dawson applied to have the case stayed uh, on the basis that there had been um, inordinate delay. I mean, he's, um, you know, this ordinate delay, I think what he was trying to say was, all this publicity has now come out about this. It's been many, many years, right? So he's, he wanted to stay um, to prosecute him as there was a risk that members of the jury could be prejudiced towards him due to this widespread publicity about this case and this was also from this podcast also because it was everywhere um, at that point I think it was actually stopped being broadcast in Australia about that for this reason so the temporary stay was granted to allow public um, memories to fade a little bit from the jury's mind and the application for a permanent stay was denied in both New South Wales Supreme Court and the Court of Criminal Appeal. So we really tried to fight this prosecution, right? You know, the years are going on now, aren't they? You know, he's really trying to get out of it, really, in any way he can, saying, I'm not going to get a fair trial now because it's so publicised. Uh, but I see it all these, you know, in the early days, was saying about why she'd left, so he was publicising it himself. So in April 2022, he was um, denied special leave by Justice Stephen uh, to appeal to the High Court of Australia. In May 2022, Justice Robert Beach Jones granted Dawson application from the judge trial alone because he's trying to say, Dawson, Chris Dawson, I don't want a jury trial because they're going to be prejudiced against me because of what they already know about this case or they think they know about this case. That's fair enough, but I'll tell you now, Going for a, a judge-only trial is risky, right? Because judges only go on facts of the case, right? Of all the evidence. That's all they go on. You can't plead to a judge, you know, and say, or you know, where a jury might um, sway to you a little bit in in some way. A judge doesn't. A judge is looking at this case um, as the evidence alone and then your testimony against that evidence that's been put forward against you and that's why he had a judge only trial 
and um, for him, I think he probably fought out because it was circumstantial evidence that the judge would have probably have said no to a lot of it and there's no body as I've said for Lynn but no um, in August 2022 he was found guilty of the murder of Lynette Dawson because he did it he did it the evidence clearly shows that whether it's circumstantial or not but also his character and behavior of moving someone in and a couple of days later your wife goes missing and never heard of again. He also said, Chris, that he had had phone calls from Lynette um, at this bath um, place they were at. And um, so that's why I think there was someone else involved in this murder. Um, also, a body is not that easy to get rid of when you've got two little kids at home you're meant to be looking after and all of a sudden your wife disappears. That you know, I, I do think there's somebody else. Will Chris ever say no? Will he probably ever say about where Lynn's body is? No, he probably won't because he doesn't want to admit what he's done. He's got away with it this long, and he, as I said, he's a manipulator and he will try anything now to get out. This will go to an appeal, probably without doubt, but I doubt if he'll win. They now really, and the public and the family of Lynette. Dawson are really trying now to find her remains. Again, this man's not given any information about why he's pleaded not guilty to this case, so why should he now tell you where the body is? If he tells you where the body is, that means he's, you know, killed her, you know, so he's still trying to maintain his, you know, innocence in this case. Then that way we'll be able to go to appeal. If he gives up the body, then the appeal's over. He's a murderer right which we all know he is because that's what he is but in his mind this is his playing games now and though he's never going to give that body up and as I said the body is going to be very hard to find um 40 years on you know we don't know if he's destroyed the body in some way burnt the body in some way or just buried the body we don't know no one knows because really to this day no one really knows what happened on that day when Lynn disappeared we just don't know and I've got some fit footage of um, Judge Ian Harrison, and he's a good judge, I like him actually, he's very good. But this trial was set just before him, and that began on the 9th of May, and ran for 10 weeks, and concluded on the 11th of July. So the prosecution presented, a, as I said, circumstantial case, alleging that Dawson's motive for was his desire for this unflattering relationship, really, with Curtis. He... He wanted a relationship with this Joanne Curtis, this girl that he had groomed in this Cromer High School, then moved in uh, to his property to, to be the babysitter. To, you know, and days later, uh, Lynette was gone, and they believed that was the motive. You know, there's such a thing as divorce, and these killers and, and stuff, you know, just don't seem to think of a logical solution. They just think, I'm just going to kill you and get rid of you, and so I can move, you know, move on with my 15, 16 year old girlfriend it's um shocking really when you think about it isn't it when you look into a mind of a murderer but then we're also talking about the mind of a groomer right so he is a manipulator he was always going to want it all he wanted them children he wanted that house he didn't want to give her any money she didn't deserve it she didn't deserve it did she i'll kill her first it's easier just get rid of her absolutely no care for lynn at all this man had 
absolutely no care that she had bore him two children, that she was a great mother, a great person, a happy person. He had no fault or respect for her family members that she left behind and these poor children that had to grow up without a mother, not knowing where she was, thinking that they'd been abandoned. And the reason they thought that he, they, she had abandoned them, because that's what this Chris Dawson was telling people, how bad she was abandoning her own two children and all the time he had killed her and dumped her body. Disgraceful. <clears throat> now there was some sightings and I always say this when we have sightings of people that are missing, right? People look alike, people like to help, don't they? People think, oh I've seen her, it could have been her, I'm going to ring her. So it, these sightings and I, and I think even the judges said you can discount these sightings. As you can discount that Lynn made that phone call. We're now discounting that because we know that's now untrue. Because she couldn't have made a phone call if she was dead. So everything that he was holding on to, to give his case some weight, that oh she was seen by others, you know, she did make a phone call, she rang a calf and I, you know, and they told me, you know, and I picked up the phone. No, this was set up. It was set up to make it look like Lynn was still alive and done a runner. That's what it would look like. And the judge was having none of it. And I'll show you the um, the um, outcome in a minute when, um, as we come towards the end of this case, of where the ju judge then sums up and um, says his reasons why he doesn't believe a word really in, you know, let's call it in, in, in the short term, of um, anything that Chris Dawson has to say. He's an absolute liar. And you can see that with really with the judge his reaction, he's explaining why he has said that this man is guilty of the murder and why he has <clears throat> dis really counted any of the evidence that Chris and others have put forward um, as really um, not true. It's not true. I think with um, anybody that is on trial for their life, right, and their liberty, I mean, to save their self from anything like that where you're going to go to prison for the rest of your life and this man's in his 70s now so if he go, you know, goes to prison it will be for the rest of his life he will go to prison um, that you decide that you're not going to give evidence you're not going to be cross-examined you're not going to give any evidence he chose not to do that now his defense team could have said don't do that because you're going to incriminate yourself right um, but I think when you're fighting for your liberty if you really believed that you haven't murdered your wife and you believe that you spoke to her on the phone and you did all this and people were, you know, um, seeing her in, you know, and stuff, you would give evidence, wouldn't you? To defend yourself, wouldn't you? If you're innocent, he chose not to. Any, I think any person that doesn't choose to give evidence, right, when you're fighting for your liberty, Mm, you've probably got something to hide there. So on the 30th of um, August 2022, Justice Harris, uh, Harrison took five hours to deliberate his reasonings to finding Dawson guilty of this murder. He found Dawson had lied on several occasions, including about the relationship with Curtis, about the desire to resume the relationship with his wife, about receiving a phone call from Lynette after she disappeared. Harrison also rejected the allegations of the sighting as Lynn as wholly unreliable. 
and found really that the most compelling body of evidence to reject the hypothesis it was that Lynn Dawson abandoned her family. He couldn't believe that someone who had never displayed any tendencies, there was no mental health, there was nothing. She was absolutely a great mother, had a great family, was planning, she had plans to do things the next day, to meet people, to meet family members. This isn't someone that would just go off and join a, a religious communion because you used a credit card, or so he says you have, and built up a few debts. The judge couldn't, you know, reasonably see that as happening, right? Also, this woman took nothing. Also, Lynn couldn't drive. She didn't drive. So she was reliant on Chris Dawson for a lot of stuff. She was a housewife, so she was reliant as you know, women are and men are, if one's working and the other one's not. The income is the household income. So she had no extra savings that anyone knew about. She had no cash hidden anywhere that anyone knew about. She didn't drive. She didn't take anything from her home at all. Not even a pair of underwear, and the judge quite states that clearly. But you want to believe, or others to believe, that this woman has got up and left her children who she loved and cared for deeply and also loved and cared for her family deeply. The judge couldn't with, you know, he just couldn't, you know, the evidence of her not doing that was more compelling than the evidence of her doing it. There was no actual evidence to say that's what she'd done at all, not any. The whole of the circumstantial evidence satisfies me that Lynette Dawson is dead that she died on or about 8 January 1982 and that she did not voluntarily abandon her home. I'm satisfied beyond reasonable doubt that the phone call material and the sightings evidence do not establish that Lynette Dawson was alive in circumstances to which they separate, say again, in circumstances to which they separately relate. By way of example, I'm satisfied that none of the alleged sightings was a genuine sighting of Lynette Dawson. Lynette Dawson had for her entire married life been dependent upon Mr. Dawson to drive her where she needed to go. The theory that she walked out of her life with no easy means of transport at her disposal is much harder to accept than if, for example, she had loaded up a second family car with clothes and possession, uh, possessions and driven herself away. There is scant evidence that Lynette Dawson had money of her own, either in cash or in an account to which she had access to fund her new life. The evidence also powerfully suggests that Lynette Dawson had a strong maternal bond with her daughters. Despite the tensions that were uh, in play in the Dawson household in the weeks leading up to 8 January 1982, Lynette Dawson was at least physically and materially secure. Apart from her emotional burden, in the sense of her avowed distress and concern at the state of her marriage, she had all the so-called necessities of life. The contention that Lynette Dawson would rationally decide in those circumstances to propel herself into a life of anonymity in a figurative state of nakedness without, it seems, even a change of underwear is relied upon by the Crown as so unlikely and so improbable has to be capable of rejection out of hand. I think the most, I think the most, you know, thing that 
the judge said really the, the most powerful impact statement that he could have made was this he rejected this notion of Lynn Dawson abandoning her family. I think for her family and her two children, that's, you know, because that's all they've been told all their life, that this woman had just left them, didn't want them, you know, moved on, uh, start a new life somewhere else. And I think for the children and the family members and um, the people that supported Lynn and in, in the search for Lynette, Dawson all these years. I think that really hit home that, you know, this woman not only lost her life, but these children's lives were affected. Many, many lives were affected by the actions of this one man, really for his own selfish reasons, wasn't it really? It was just a selfish reason that he wanted to set up a new life with a very, very young girl. And um, it, that didn't even last, did it? And he'd already groomed and um, allegedly six others, um, very young girls. So, you know, his predatory nature was there. And um, I think, yeah, I think for the judge to say that probably is the best thing he could have said because I think it really hit home with people who knew about this story for many, many years. And, you know, a lot of people think, I can't understand how a woman can leave her children. She never left her children. She was taken from her children. Her life was taken on that day. Listen, we've got to talk about this podcast, really. This podcast that really highlighted this missing persons case of Lynn. Because that's what it was many, many years. You know, 30-odd years. 37 years was a missing person, this young girl was, at the time. This mother of two. Until this podcast come along. And it's called, uh, it's an Australian crime podcast series. And we do love crime shows, don't we, people? Um, the Teacher's Pet. And it was an award-winning, and it's by an award-winning journalist, um, Hadley Thomas, um, of the Australian, and a broadcaster. And this was broadcaster in 2018. With a large amount of evidence that was not collected um, by any of the police investigations. So the thing is with crime podcasts and stuff is... A lot of people don't speak to the police. A lot of people don't know about these cases because a lot of people move on with their life. And then all of a sudden you have this series that comes out and I think it was close to 30 million downloads created this large public interest in this case. So then we have a bigger audience, don't we, to collect information from. And this is where this case then took on a life of its own. It was then much more in the public eye and it was much more then put... Um, into the um, arena then for to the case to be reopened because pressure from public to really find out what really happened to Lynn. It's unacceptable, isn't it, in this day and age that we still have cold cases of 40 years of a woman that is meant to have started a new life but has never used a bank account, doesn't have a driver's license at all, never did, never has... You know, there's no sign of her, no communication from to anyone from her. You know, as I said to you right from the beginning, there was early flags here, red flags. Everyone ignored them. The police ignored them. They believed a manipulator. They believed a groomer. A groomer is a manipulator, right? He is a manipulator. It's in his nature to manipulate and, and in the end, kill because he wanted to get his hands on younger girls really that's what it was about he moved that girl in 
so as I said it was you know really hotting up this uh, podcast and lots of things coming in lots of you know and this man's a good investigator really is a, is a good um, journalist and as the clues were coming in he was sort of putting the stuff together but in the end you see this podcast then really had to be made unavailable considering the ongoing legal proceedings because this could have got this man off with murder so yes it was great wasn't it why it started it got the information in but you see any perpetrator like this will use any anything they can to get away with murder so this podcast and had to be you know they couldn't have it in Australia because of these proceedings it could have damaged them proceedings it could have made the jury prejudiced against him which he was trying to say wasn't it that's why he wanted it to stay and that's why he had the judge alone trial listen they were trying to prosecute this man for many many years really from 2008 on upwards really and it took till 2022 really to get the verdict it got but again you have to think about when we um, prosecute these people you know he's always going to be open to an appeal and you know this man is such a you know horrible man isn't he really they can't even tell where his wife's body is you know after all these years and I mean he's going to take this to his grave isn't he this man he, he, he can't do the right thing even now he can't even do the right thing for even now so this podcast right this teacher's pet podcast I have to, I have to try and see if I can get it uh, explores the marriage of Chris and Lynn Dawson and the unusual close relationship between Chris and his twin brother Paul and Dawson's relationship with with the student Joanna Curtis so this is what this podcast started talking about so this doting mother of two Lynn Dawson went missing from her northern beaches home now northern beaches right you know not, it's not a cheap area of Sydney I'll tell you that now it's, it, it's not now this was in January 1982 but she was only 33 years old probably a bit old for her remember they met when they were 16 at school she's now 33 years old got a couple of kids you know this was this PA teacher from this Cromer High School you know who um, was grooming children he was grooming children it's alleged you know the relationship between him and his brother and it's alleged alleged that because I don't want to be sued that his brother was the same as him and this is what this podcast sort of opened up so as this podcast then opens up people then start coming forward don't they with all the dirt really you're not telling the police now you're actually now talking amongst yourself you're listening to a podcast you're thinking hang on a minute I knew him I went to that school he groomed me this is what was really then happening here to build up really what this Chris Dawson was really like so listen to finish this case really you know as I've said Lynn's remains have not been found right uh, detectives are still investigating and of the murder of Lynn Dawson and have revealed that they have a lead on where her body may be buried the news had broken just a few days ago actually so listen, Lynn's family have pleaded with this man, right, to, you know, this Chris Dawson, the former husband, the killer, the murderer of Lynette Dawson, to please, please, please give up where he put this body so they can actually give this woman a proper burial and have somewhere, can't they, for where they can go and, you know, you know show their grief and... and come together as a family but he just won't do it so it is believed that her body was probably the killed 
on the April 9th, they're not really sure. Um, in 1982, they're not really sure of the day, really, to tell you the truth. Her remains then are somewhere now in, uh, they believe, are buried somewhere in New South Wales' central coast. Now, again, I've said about Australia's changed. Now, I lived in Australia for many years, and it's it was changed, rebuilding and changing uh, all the time. And we're talking about landscapes that are going to have changed, and things are going to have changed over 40 years. It's is it likely unless he's buried her in some bush or somewhere where you can sort of you know, indicate you know which hasn't really been touched um, there may be some hope of finding her remains uh, I hope they do uh, you know I really hope they do um, but I think all we can say is it's been 40 years fight for justice for Lynn right for Lynette Dawson 40 years to you know finally prosecute a man for the murder of his wife 40 years 40 years but this case isn't over it will never be over in the family's eyes until they have Lynn home with them so listen thanks for watching and until the next time bye bye